Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast amongst Keyforge pals here in fabulous Vancouver, British Columbia. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, but you can call me Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my Keyforge compadres. It's the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey, what's up? And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, everyone. How's it going? Man, I, I, I gotta say, guys, um, Keyforge has been one of those things that since I started playing way back in uh, you know November of last year, which we're coming up close on that one-year anniversary, has always been a thing that's been present. But with the you know, Worlds Collide being on the horizon and with all the recent announcements that have been going on and the excitement over whatever the announcement's going to be coming later on this month, I feel like I'm just getting more and more hyped about Keyforge as time goes by, which is interesting because I think oftentimes the you know you start to take things like this for granted. But I feel like you know my excitement level in general around the game has actually become much bigger, especially over the course of the last month, six weeks or so. Uh, are you feeling kind of similarly about Keyforge right now? I definitely am looking forward to it for now. Um, things coming up are looking quite quite good for my playstyle and whatnot so again yeah the next set and what's going on right now is looking great for me i'm also getting really excited and the prospect as well it's like not only just the set but i mean we're getting so many great tournaments and just a glut of tournaments in the upcoming months to look forward to which is just fantastic mm -hmm. we're now getting a store that we thought we lost coming back into the fold and maybe potentially having another store so we could potentially have four places a week to go play Keyforge, which is just fantastic. And not all of them want us to spend money. They all are open to have just a casual get together, which is great. And I think like we know that we're an advocate for the casual game and we love to get to have that experience. And I got to say that with everything coming on the horizon, I'm so excited because we're going to hit that moment where we might not have, the ability to go online and play Worlds Collide. So having all those arenas mm -hmm. in the form of LGSs to go to and play a casual game with our new decks is going to be super crucial. Yeah, also, you know, just absolutely having a variety of places where people can go, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, Sundays don't work for me because I spend it with my family. Great, we got a game on Monday, we got a game on Thursday, we got a game on Friday. Like, all those options provide more options for the community and they provide more places for people to go and play and provide more general support for the game and additionally more vectors for people to get invested in the game because they go in they see the product on the shelf and as they're looking at it the guy behind the counter or gal behind the counter whomever behind the counter can say hey you know uh, if you're interested we've got people playing it on this day and they can you know have stuff up and around the store i mean it's it's nothing but gravy as far as that goes so very exciting mm -hmm. for us had a little gameplay here on Monday at Rain City, just playing Archon, and it was one of those weeks where we were playing Archon Chainbound, and I feel like this is kind of like a meat and potatoes Keyforge day. And it was actually Blake's birthday, and for your birthday, you brought some absolute hellfire. What were you <laughs> rocking on Monday, Blake? Uh, well, it's a new deck that I picked up a couple of days before that is going to be in contention to be in the fold for when I go to Vegas Vault Tour for the Triad Tournament. And because it's just basically got two weeks less to a month less from my other decks that I'm that I'm rehearsing with, it basically created the need to just play it in any situation possible. And I don't think it's a deck I would normally bring to just a chainbound event. It does feel quite powerful, mm -hmm. but it it just has. I don't want to go into details because uh, I don't know if 
anyone I could play is listening or not. And I just want to err on the side of caution. But it basically devil. has some... Yeah, exactly. It, it has a, a key cheat in a way to to make that happen really easily and, and really quickly. And uh, it's just really fun to play. And, I've, and I'm just trying to get in those reps and just understand the game more and more. Uh, unfortunately, I did not take down the tournament with it. I lost uh, to our good friend Jens, who... The more I play with him, the more I realize how much of an outstanding player he is. Definitely. And hopefully um, we'll get him on the the podcast in the future because I'd love to hear his insights on some of the game uh, gameplay that he has. But he had just a great deck. It was uh, had a legacy effervescent principle and a mimicry, which uh, I've learned from the past that he will mimicry a doorstep to heaven without any reservations and really, really get you down. So... It was really fun, though. I got to say, like, it was it was so much fun. It was a lot of our, our regular cast of characters, which is really great as well. You know, some of the folks that we play with fairly regularly across a couple of different stores, including Jonathan, Matt's shout out to those guys if they're listening. Rick, you brought a deck that I know that you've played like a fair bit of Chainbound with, and it's gone up and down in chains, and I believe you did pretty well with it. You took me down in the first round with it. Uh, how are you feeling yep. about that deck right now, having played it as both a winning deck and having lost with it a couple of times? Is it a thing you're going to stick with and keep building up those chains? It, it is. Um, uh, in preparation for tonight's episode, actually, I was playing it on the Crucible earlier, and I had a bit of an issue today. I don't know what it was, but I played two games and I lost them both. Were you playing on competitive or casual? Competitive. Yeah. I, I do find that one of the problems with playing consistently on competitive is that that is the place where people go to bring out their real Superfly TNT. And, you know, yep. on the one hand, it's like, okay, well, there's only three tiers. So you're either playing your best decks in casual, which is not super fair to people who just want casual games, or you're potentially playing against the absolute best of the best, you know, high SAS or high ARC or high ADHD decks or just absolute killer combo decks. You know, wh yep. what can you do? It is what it is, which is why I oftentimes don't necessarily put too much stock in a couple of losses on the Crucible. With oh, the yeah. Deck. I, w I was just surprised because of how it's been performing lately just two in a row the decks that i was i was against were just phenomenal and i just couldn't do anything i knew by like two turns in advance that i was not gonna win i gotta say though rick that your deck is i know which one you played and it is a yep. competitive deck like you, oh, you were playing in the right place and i think we're also in a position right now where when you get so close to like a vault tour coming people are no longer just playing competitive like good they're actually playing like top 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 because they're they're really getting ready for the vault tour so they're not yep. messing around i think that's part of it as well during this time frame so that could be it and i and i just think that even if you are playing against those decks it's like losing to outstanding decks is only going to make you better because mm -hmm. you're going to be put in really hard situations and um being in those situations could make you have to think a lot differently than you normally would to try and dig yourself out of a hole. And you may not be successful, but you may discover some things you didn't know before, which I think is very beneficial. Yeah, and it actually goes back to podcasts that I think we all listen to, Bouncing Death Quark, and the podcast they just had this past week, How to Become a Better Player. The first rule is, or the first method is, surround yourself with better players. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So take taking losses from better players it's only going to help you get better yeah 100 percent true 100 percent true i also wanted to comment about an awesome play that i uh heard about while we were playing uh, amongst us it was a really good day in that 
I think almost everybody had a couple of wins and one loss other than Jens who took down the tournament. Uh, you know, I know we all went 2-1. Um, yep. I think that only, uh, you know, one or two people uh, uh, went one, two, uh, as opposed to the rest of the field. So there's lots of lots of give and take. Uh, but one of the plays that I heard about that I was so excited about was one of the games finished by someone discarding a bunch of untamed creatures and then playing a soldiers to flowers and then hitting a key charge soldiers to flowers. If you don't know, is the d- card that says. Every single untamed creature gets purged from a graveyard on both sides, and you get one amber for each one. So literally, he dumped creatures out of his hand so that he could play that card, get amber, and use it to fuel his key charge. That is awesome. I love that. Oh, yeah. That was Dennis, wasn't it? It was, in fact, Dennis. Yeah. That is something that I would love to do. Never even occurred to me. But as a game-winning combo, I think absolutely a, a fantastic one. And I'll be looking out for that in future decks I open with cards that could conceivably fuel it. We wanted to move on, and it's time for Coach's Corner. Now, Coach, you write articles. They go up on the Archon's Corner, which is uh, you have your own little Coach's Corner on the Archon Corner where you write about your own perspective on Keyforge. And you wrote a very interesting article on giving up the first key in a game of key forge and you wanted to expand about that a little bit here on help from future self so i give the mic over to you thanks alex uh yeah i actually decided to talk about this more because of the reception i got from it and people just reaching out on twitter and different social media and even the comments on it it seems to be one of the more interesting topics that i've chosen to speak about and I know that not everyone likes to read articles, so I thought this might be another good platform to uh, further discuss this. And I also want to get your gents' opinions on this topic. And it's it's basically giving up the first key and everything that goes along with that. Because you know you're giving it up and there's a play you could have where you don't. So first off, I want to pose a question to both of you. How do you feel about the idea of letting your opponent forge the first key ahead of you And let's say like the scenario is this, you have an answer in hand, it puts them off. And by doing so, you're only playing one card, but they don't forge next turn, but you also aren't in check. Okay. So this is the scenario. How, how do you feel about that, Rick? Like what, what is your thought process if you're in that position? If I'm in that position, uh, I probably just let them have it to further my position. Okay. Um, if I have a play that, if I, if I don't, if I have a play where I can get closer to being able to forge, I'll let them do whatever they're going to do. If it furthers me to get, getting closer to that first key myself. Okay. And Alex, how about you? Same thing. How do, how do you, what would you do if you're in that position? The most boring answer to any key forge question is always going to be, it depends but I got to say, Blake, yeah. it depends. What do I have exactly. in my hand? Is there another play I could be making that will significantly advance my position of the game? Is it going to give me board control? Is it going to set me up for something sweet next turn? Is it going to potentially put me in a position to burst way out ahead? If those are the cases, then it may very well be that I let them forge just so that I can set myself up for a really advantageous turn next turn. If, on the other hand... I would just be playing like straight up meat and potatoes, two or three cards, then I'll take them down off the key. I think that the value of taking somebody off of a key and getting one or two cards out of your hand to set yourself up a little bit further down the line, sure, I'll take that value. 
But, uh, you know, I, I feel like first key is one of those things where when I look at it, I go, it's only the first key. And unless it's obvious that they're playing a deck that's going to, like, absolutely blast past me and I have to take every opportunity to slow it down, first keys don't bother me that much. Okay. I'm pretty much in the same boat, and I agree it is. It does. I should have prefaced the deck situation more. Um, I also feel that when you're in this position, it kind of has a, a, a duality to it because if you're doing it in an Archon event, I think it's a much different perspective than doing it in a sealed event as well. Because when you're in a sealed event, you don't have the same practice of knowing how the deck performs or what your opponent could have. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I feel like it changes the the equation a little bit. Now, the another the other aspect to this is I want you you both of you gents to just think about uh think about that moment when you allow your opponent to give up that first key. Like the the psychological impact and the implications that exist. So, have you thought about about that aspect? Cuz I know I know that you can kind of get that feeling of you're under the gun now because they're ahead of you. You can get the feeling like, okay, this is fine. I, I'm now in line to do my play. What, what are your thoughts on the, the psychological implication of going behind early in the game? I'll be totally honest with you, Blake. It doesn't bother me. Um, you're just, you're unfazed? I would say I'm unfazed. And I don't want to try and make it sound like I'm Mr. Cool Ice who never gets phased in a game. Like I get... I get shook. I get tilted. I get my you get, game. You get phased. I do. It absolutely happens. And I will be the first to admit it, but it's only the first key. Yeah, exactly. And I have, because Keyforge, the nature of Keyforge, I have absolutely internalized the idea that big swings and big comebacks are always on the table. And you never, ever, ever one count yourself out or two count your opponent entirely out. You have to always have that in mind when you're playing Keyforge and not get overconfident and not give up the ghost before it's time to give up the ghost. That a first key is just a first key. You feel the same way, Rick? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, especially if it's in Archon and I really, really know the deck well. If it's in Sealed, if they get the first key, I'm, I start to panic because I don't know the deck at all. And my analysis when I read the Archon card it's not that great. It's not bad, but it's not that great. So I'm pretty sure that my opponent's going to have a better understanding of their deck than I am with mine. So I do feel under the gun in that in that situation. I do think that in Seal, that that you do have that that moment of you're not as familiar, so you, you don't know, like, okay, it's fine because I have this and this and that, so it, it's going to be okay. I think when you're playing Sealed, you have the potential to get that trigger of of kind of fight or flight, so to speak, and maybe yep. make a less optimal play in that situation. That's why I think being in that situation also is is really beneficial because you get to experience it more. So that was kind of what I wanted to talk about to start with was just the the thought process of it happening. Because there's also, I think as well, the other side of it, when you're the one allowing it to happen, you can set your opponent up for feeling this sense of psychological um ease because you're like I got the first key I'm going when really you don't realize it's like you're you're almost setting yourself up to relax when you need to be to be more more go 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 sometimes more aggressive yeah yeah I think that can that that's the other side of it when you get the first key 
And that's that's the flip to this. And so sometimes allowing your opponent to have it can give you that psychological advantage because they they feel comfortable and confident when that may not be the case. Lulled into a false sense of security. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I, I do like doing that sometimes as well. Yeah. And so the whole point of this this concept that that I've that I thought about was how when you can set yourself up and allow this to happen willingly, like, you know what, I'm not going to use this right now. Like a prime example of this is too much to protect, where if you do put them down to five and you're holding it, you know that next turn they're going to burst up, which is going to make that card much more potent. So that's one that I find is really great on the flip side of actually wanting to just do that minimal delay because it's going to give bigger rewards for you moving forward. But you also have to think about your game plan. And Alex, you touched on this the best about it does depend on your deck a lot. There's no question about it. But if you have a deck that's not necessarily a racing deck, but a control deck, I think you're more in this position where you want your opponent to almost go ahead because then you can start controlling the game. And you can set up a board or the state of the game that best reflects the way your deck wants to play. And when you're doing this, it just allows you to know what's going on. And part of this process is early game, sometimes you know there's a house that as the game goes on, that house is going to be less beneficial for you winning the game. I have a deck and it's a Logos house. It's great for setup early on, but if I'm getting near the end game and I need to start controlling my opponent's ember, it doesn't have the answers that I'm looking for. So I'd want that to be thinned out through my deck because there's also the side of when you're setting up the ladder game by allowing that first key to happen so you can set it up, you're giving yourself the opportunity of having your deck have less cards in it of a certain house in general, which means you know what's coming next. So that means the answers that really benefit you as the game goes on are still to come. Or maybe you have it and you're choosing to hold it as part of it because you know right now it's so dead and maybe you're not going to cycle through your deck. You don't have a lot of these answers potentially. So you want to be able to call on them when the time comes. Because you don't want to be caught with your pants down. You know the card you need is in your discard. You're not anywhere near being able to cycle through. And as a result, there's no way you can come back if they get to that end game. So this is the, the whole article and what I started talking about is being in these different stages of the game and understanding what will help you and what in your deck leads to the success and sometimes allowing yourself to get rid of cards that will not benefit you as the game persists and you will be set up then to be drawing those cards that really help you get to that end state of okay now I'm going to be pulling these I'm going to be putting them off check I can do it three turns in a row right now and they're just basically do they have the answer in response and sometimes it comes to that attrition almost like who has more ways of taking the other person off check at the end? Because I found lately that a lot of games go down to that wire. It's like I put the person off check, then I go and check, then they put me off check. And then yep. and then you just keep going back and forth. And it's who suddenly doesn't have that answer anymore. And that's usually who wins I found lately. And so being able to set up yourself late game by getting rid of what you don't need early and maybe going behind on a key is uh, something I've discovered to be quite an interesting topic and, and idea to be explored more. I think that little uh, bit there, Blake, the uh, who has more at the end of taking off the key, I think 80% of the games that the three of us have together, it comes down to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Alex, what are your thoughts? 
I'm really fascinated by both the dual, you know, application of one game psychology and the idea that you can be in control by allowing things to happen. Allowing mm-hmm. your opponent something is a method of control. It's control of the game because the only factor you can really control in the game ultimately when it comes down to it is your own plays. You have no way of forcing your opponent into a play. You can make your opponent do, you know, certain things, you know, within a certain there are ways that you can manipulate your opponent. They're not always going to be 100% successful. The one thing you have 100% control over is yourself and how you play and how you exert that control over the broader gameplay, I think, is really fascinating. And I like that aspect of the way that you position that, Blake. The idea that there is a control aspect to what you are doing when you say, yes, I will, or no, I won't. It is a decision that you are making that directly impacts the overall state of the game. And that's a really fascinating way to look at it. I think. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Uh, we are going to be recording another episode immediately following this one. So we're going to keep on moseying here and head on over to everybody's favorite segment, including mine. We call this one Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Blake, you got one to go along with your birthday weekend gameplay? I do, yes. So this one comes from this new deck and... It's honestly like as much as it is a hell from future self, it's I, I feel actually really stupid for, for the play I did. I, I still can't get over it. I basically chose to call a house that was not efficient except for the fact that it was going to take my opponent off a key in my mind. And it was actually this first key scenario too, which is kind of funny. And <laughs> But I knew my opponent's deck that I needed to actually do that. So I played a gatekeeper thinking it had the text of Doorstep to Heaven. And so for those of you not familiar, Gatekeeper, if your opponent has seven or more Ember, capture all but five. And then Doorstep says if your opponent, um, each player who has six or more Ember goes down to five. That's what it says. So my Mm -hmm. opponent was Jens, and um, he was smart. He knew that I, I had this card, and he only went to six Ember. And so I go and play Gatekeeper, thinking it's going to do the effect of doorstep to heaven and it does absolutely nothing. Oh. It's not an efficient play and it was really early on in the game, but I actually feel it caused the loss to happen. It, it created this domino effect because now I no longer had that card for later in the game when it really mattered and it would have really helped later in the game. I didn't have, um, I didn't get to play more cards out of hand and get more Ember, which was a, the alternative I was contemplating so it's one of those weird things where I got one less card and that's one less answer. And it's it's just the whole thought process of the domino effect from that one misplay, even though it was so early on. I think it it can be truly detrimental to to your own game state when you do something like that. And it just made me realize, like, don't assume the text of cards no matter how much you play, because we do play all of us. And I think most people who are probably listening play a ton. And not only is it just thinking you know the cards but you see so many cards that sometimes you can get confused one from the other that's pretty mm-hmm. much what happened to me and uh it sucked <laughs> yep it happened i had all egg the time. on my face this is one of those things like my uh my help from future self from a couple of weeks ago with the don't ever 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 go based on the card art read the name of the card mm-hmm. and make sure it's the card you think it is because i bone myself with that all the time 
Yeah. And I think, too, it's a bit of a mental, it, it throws you off your game. Even if you think it doesn't throw you off, it actually does mentally throw you off your game a bit. Yeah, I would agree. You start, because you're kind of second-guessing yourself at that point. Yep. It, it's your confidence is down, so you're not playing from the same position of power. And yeah, you're completely right, Rick. I think I think I was a little bit like, like because because you're no longer focusing about the future. Sometimes you're kind of like thinking about how did I just do that. So you're you're again not playing optimally. And um, I know there's like I I basically put myself on tilt doing that. It was yep. a self-imposed tilt, and it was it was awful. Like I felt I felt like really horrible because it was so like just read the card and you wouldn't have made this mistake sort of situation. So that was frustrating. And- it snowballed into the, into the loss, yeah. Yeah. All right, that is all for this week on Help from Future Self. You can find us on social media on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Twitter at BLVD Paper Fight, Boulevard Paper Fight. And then also check out for my uh, articles that come out weekly on Archon's Corner every Saturday. Where can folks find you on the interwebs, Rick? I'm on the Crucible at Rickster78. Come play against me. And I'm on Twitter at the Wheeling Keyforger. Terrific. We're going to have another episode coming up next week. Until then, stay forged. Stay forged.